The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. Or if you feel like you do not have the option to exit the relationship and you need tips to manage this behavior, then listen on. So number one, I would say identify and label the behavior for what it is, which is a manipulation tactic. Number two, Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Taylor. She is a coach and licensed psychologist based in California. She helps adult children of narcissistic parents stop walking on eggshells and step into their power and purpose. Her clients are acutely perceptive of others' needs but struggle to put themselves first. Dr. Damiani helps them come home to themselves and grow in self-love, acceptance and worth. Today's episode is all about protecting yourself from the five manipulation tactics used by narcissistic individuals. We will be going through five common tactics that narcissistic individuals use to control and manipulate others. But don't worry, we won't leave you hanging. Dr. Taylor will also be sharing practical tips and strategies for protecting yourself against these tactics so you can stay in control of your own life. So, if you want to learn how to defend yourself against these five manipulation tactics, then you won't want to miss this episode. Hi Taylor, and thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Hi Juliana, it's nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Great, and uh, today we have some questions and let's get started with them right away. And the first one is, when someone... When someone rewrites how events occurred to their advantage, it's called rewriting history and it's a form of gaslighting. For example, imagine that you confirmed, uh, sorry, for example, imagine that you saw your spouse flirting with someone and when you confront them about it, they say, I was flirting with her. Uh, you must be remembering it wrong. She was flirting with me and I was and I was just trying to escape. This would be considered rewriting history. How can someone protect themselves when the abusive person in their life rewrites history? Wow, this is really difficult because when we're gaslit regularly, we can start to question our reality and ourselves and we can begin to invalidate and doubt ourselves, um, thinking that we're crazy or doubting our ability to remember what happened. And it can take some time for us to even begin to realize that we are being gaslit or that what we're experiencing is called gaslighting. And by the time we realize it and have language for what's happening to us, we've uh, begun to doubt ourselves. So I just want to validate that. So first, I want to kind of offer a big picture perspective. Um, So just begin by asking yourself, 
if this person's behavior aligns with your values and if this is a relationship worth continuing for you. If the answer to that is yes, or if you feel like you do not have the option to exit the relationship and you need tips to manage this behavior, then listen on. So number one, I would say identify and label the behavior for what it is, which is a manipulation tactic. Number two is keep a record. If you suspect that this person is rewriting history, it can be helpful to keep a record of what actually happened. So this could involve writing down the events as they occur or taking screenshots or taking photos or keeping other types of evidence. Um, I actually had a client recently do this where they had a conversation and then immediately after they hung up the phone, they transcribed that conversation onto a Google Doc so that they could easily remember how the conversation actually went as opposed to being swayed by gaslighting and believing what the other person told them the conversation was about. And they said that it was very helpful to have that that written record. Uh, I would say, additionally, stand in your truth. Don't doubt yourself. This is easier said than done, but it's important to trust yourself and your own perceptions. Um, If you know what you saw or heard, don't let this person make you yourself. And then lastly, communicate your perspective in a calm and assertive manner manner, um, and let them know that you will not tolerate this kind of manipulation. Mm, Yeah, thank you so much. And I feel like uh, the last part that communicate uh, your, you know, perspective that I won't tolerate, uh, that is such an important point, because I feel like if we... uh, the other option, not kind of saying anything and just because we do know that, yeah, we do all often have to repeat ourselves. Like, I do not tolerate this. I do not tolerate this. I do not tolerate this in every, like in many, many situations because narcissistic (laughs) people tend to cross those boundaries that we try to set, but still it's better compared to, or what do you think? well, I, I assume that it is better because you gave that tip, but like, what are, what are your thoughts that compared to a situation where you would just kind of, that you are so mentally checked out that you're like, well, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm not going to anymore, you know, state anything. Like I'm not going to, you know, tell this person anymore that, Hey, this is my boundary. Don't cross it. But instead yeah. just kind of, you know, staying silent. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm actually going to get to, I think we're going to cover some of, uh, cover some of that in the future questions that you asked me. Okay. Um, but there are some situations and circumstances where it may not be worth it for you to even speak up. It may not be worth your emotional labor, Mm. or you may want to consider other tactics like going no contact or limited contact or considering Do I really want this person in my life? How much do I really want to interact with this person? Is this person adding value to my life or is this person making my life miserable? You get to decide. You get to make those choices and decide how much you want to personally invest in this relationship. Mm, Yeah, and I love that you say you get to decide because I feel like often we 
forget that, that actually we have power, we have options, we can make decisions that are, that we can actually think that, okay, what decision, what decision is best for me? So thank you for saying that out loud. Totally. Yeah. I think that is something we forget a lot. Um, I work in particular with adult children of narcissistic parents. And so when you grow up with having a narcissistic parent, you may think you have absolutely no choice. Um, you know, people say things like, well, it's your family. So, you know, that that's your mother, that's your father. You don't go against them or you don't cut them out of your life. So a lot of times, you know, children of narcissistic parents feel like they don't have a choice because, well, this is my family member. I can't cut them out of my life or I can't set boundaries with my family member, but we actually do have choice. We do have options. And so that's why I love your podcast because we're talking about the choices and the options that people have and how to deal with these difficult people in difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, yeah, I do agree that, you know, we, sometimes we think, oh, well, I can't set a boundary with my family member, but I think I once talked with someone, um, in a podcast about, like, I asked like why it is actually very important to set boundaries and why boundaries actually can make, you know, relationships better. So what, what is your kind of perspective on the, this? Because I feel like people uh, coming from narcissistic or otherwise abusive childhood or family of origin, uh, they do not kind of see boundaries the same way. So, uh, so my question to you is why boundaries are important when we are thinking about the quality of the relationships that we have with others. If you think about growing up in a household with, um, let's just say you have a narcissistic parent, Mm -hmm. you probably have grown up where there was no boundaries. The family environment was probably boundaryless. Typically it's, you'll hear the word enmeshed. There's a lot of enmeshment. Um, And that is because the parent doesn't know what boundaries are. And so as a child, you grow up not learning what boundaries are. Um, You take on the emotional pain of others. You may, as a child, be, you may have been parentified, meaning you take on the role of a a parent because your parent couldn't, um, for whatever reason, take care of the physical needs of the house. So for example, you might see children, um, you know, cooking the meals or doing the laundry for the family or for their parent or taking care of their parents' emotional needs, acting as the counselor or the confidant of the parent. So this is an example where there's not a lot of boundaries going on, that the child is so enmeshed with the parent and the parent's emotional life. Um, So what ends up happening is when a child grows up in a boundaryless environment, they might learn that their needs don't actually matter. If you're constantly taking care of your parents' needs, um, then you might learn, okay, this is what I need to do to survive my surroundings. Other people's needs are more important. And we learn to put our own needs on the back burner. 
if we grow up in an environment where we don't know what boundaries are, we lose our own voice. We don't know how to use our own voice. We don't know how to speak up for our own needs, let alone do we even know what our own needs are. We don't even know how to identify our needs or that we have needs to begin with. Learning boundaries is learning how to identify what's going on inside of us, what our needs are, and then being able to communicate those needs to other people. When we don't have boundaries, we don't know how to ask for what we need. And so we're less likely to get our needs met. And therefore, we're not likely to have meaningful relationships where we're being truly seen for who we are, because we're not able to even advocate for ourselves or voice what's truly going on in here. We don't know how to use that voice because it's it hasn't been we haven't exercised that. Hmm. We, we weren't taught that that was important to do or that what we, what our needs, we haven't been taught that our needs were valuable. Mm, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, then the next question is countering is when someone are countering is when someone argues against almost anything you say. An effective conversation is impossible because they are effectively saying no to everything. How can someone protect themselves from an abusive person who is controlling them down with countering? This just sounds so incredibly frustrating and demoralizing. <clears throat> Number one, I would say try to limit your conversations with this person. Ask yourself, is it worth it to engage in a conversation with this person if they're going to refute everything I say and cannot really have a meaningful, it can't really meaningfully communicate with me? What is even the point if they can't communicate with me? And then taking it even a step further, stepping back, you might even ask yourself, is it worth it to continue a relationship with someone who treats me this way? Is this how I would want a beloved friend to be treated? And if not, why allow that for ourselves? You deserve better. Mm. And, and then, I would then say, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, please continue. Okay. I would also say, It may be helpful to lower your expectations and perhaps accept that this person will not likely change. Um, you are not going to change them. And they may not be able to communicate in a meaningful way. So my advice would be, don't put your emotional labor into these conversations that will ultimately go nowhere. It's kind of like pouring into a bottomless cup. You'll just find yourself pouring endlessly. But if you if you really do need to communicate with this person, um, then you can use some of these following tips, which is one, as we've mentioned many times before, establish clear boundaries with the person who is countering and let them know that you're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. Communicate that you need to have a respectful conversation and that you will not engage in discussions where you're not being heard. 
Secondly, you could try practice practicing active listening. So when the person is countering, try to practice active listening by repeating what they're saying, paraphrasing what they're saying, acknowledging their point of view, um, which can de-escalate the situation and can also make it clear that you're trying to understand their perspective, which can then lower their defenses and make it more likely for you to get your needs met in the conversation. Uh, And then lastly, you could always try using I statements uh, when you're communicating with this person to communicate your thoughts and feelings. The use of I statements is helpful to avoid conflict um, because it makes it clearer that you're speaking from your own perspective and you're not trying to blame or attack the other person. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm also thinking uh, that if someone just keeps, you know, saying no to whatever you say, it might make you feel like that, like either that you're stupid or that your point of view doesn't like matter even they say no before you even finish your sentence, which is like kind of indicating that they do not even care what you're about to say because they have this image of you that, you know, the things that you are about to say either do not matter or they are not worth listening to because they are stupid or whatever the case may be. Uh, You gave great tips already, but my question uh, is that if someone does then feel you know, bad about this inside themselves, like kind of like it might make a person feel and believe that, uh, you know, thoughts that, okay, yeah, I'm stupid. I'm, and these, all these negative things, and that's why they are not listening to me. How can you just provide kind of alternative mindset that people, people can hold on to if they do feel these things as a result of someone just countering them all like again and again and again? Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is I think it's totally understandable that you would feel that way. Constantly being told no or constantly being cut off before you even finish your what you're saying just sounds incredibly invalidating. And what could probably happen is if you're constantly being shut down all the time, you might just not even try to voice your thoughts because you're because you you've been beaten down so many times before so you might develop that sense of learned it's this idea of learned helplessness why even try if i'm just going to be beat down it's very invalidating so yeah, I think you you raise a good question. How do you deal with that? Um, or what can you tell yourself? So one thing is to remember your worth. And I think that's very hard to do when you, you've been beaten down or when you've, like for my clients, when you've grown up with a narcissistic parent. So this behavior, this, this be, beating, you know, verbal, verbal beat down is chronic and constant throughout their lifetime. And so they have developed a, this idea that um, it's, it's common for them to develop this idea that what I have to say doesn't really matter. 
but remembering your worth that this other person doesn't dictate your worth. They don't get to say who you are and they don't get to dictate your importance or the value of what you have to say or the value of your thoughts. You are worthy just as you are. Your worth isn't predicated on what this other person thinks about you or how this other person treats you. Your worth is separate from them and their behavior towards you says more about them than it will ever say about you. I would hold on to that and try to remember that. I know it's so hard to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was really helpful. Then, then we have when someone tells you something that isn't true or purposefully omits true information, it's called lying and it is a form of gaslighting. How should someone protect their reality from an abusive person who is just lying to them? Lying can be a very common trait of narcissism. So many, not all, but many people with narcissistic traits lie often chronically to the point where it's just second nature to them. So number one, acknowledge that you will not change this person's behavior. You do not have any control over that. You do have control over how you respond to them. Secondly, I would strongly encourage you to consider going limited contact or no contact with this person. So limited contact means not engaging with the person unless absolutely necessary and not giving them much or not giving them any information about your life, keeping communication brief and shutting down conversations when they start to get kind of ugly. And then no contact is what it sounds like. It's where you stop all contact with this person under all circumstances. Now, if you do need to maintain communication with them, I'll give you a few tips for how to manage that. One, again, keep a record of the events. So, uh, you know, writing things down as they occur, taking pictures, screenshots, keeping other types of evidence for yourself. Number two is learn to spot the signs of gaslighting. Because under understanding the tactics of gaslighting, such as lying, can help you recognize when it's happening and to be more resilient in the face of it. Three, don't doubt yourself. Trust yourself and your own perceptions. If you know what you saw or heard, don't let this other person make you doubt yourself. And then um, lastly, as I mentioned before, communicate your perspective, stay calm, use in a manner. Again, set that boundary, let them know that you won't tolerate this behavior. Thank you. And then I do have a follow-up question. Sure. Uh, you said like lying is a common trait, uh, like a common thing that narcissistic people do. Uh, yeah. Can you highlight and explain why? What is in lying? Why do they lie to the point that it's almost like second nature to them? And set other question, uh, how, yeah, you say that it's almost second nature to them. So is it almost like they are not even aware of how much they lie? Or can you like talk a little bit more about this? 
Sure, I'll do my best. <laughs> I think um, your first question, why they lie, I think that's, um, there's, we could spend a long time talking about this. There's probably a lot of different reasons and a, a lot of different perspectives on this. But one way I conceptualize it is that this is a way for them to get their needs met. It's a behavior that they've learned that is effective for them to get their needs met, to get their way. It's worked for them. Mm. And then your second question was, um, was why is it second nature? Or can you remind me of your second uh, question? Like how aware they are? Are they like, do they know that, okay, now I'm about to lie? Or is it just so second nature that it kind of, they don't, they are not conscious about it? Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> that's such a great question. And I think I I would need to do more. I would want to do more research and in looking into this. Yeah. I think that what I'm my guess. Um, so this is just my my guess here <clears throat> is that it's probably a mix. There's probably times where they are aware of it, and and they're doing it anyway because there's no. They may not have qualms about doing it. Mm. Um. And then I think there's other times when they are doing it and it's second, it's just second nature without a thought. It's just, it's just, they're, they're, they're conditioning. They are so, um, it's the air that they breathe. It's their reality. They will speak into existence what they want, rather, whether it's fantasy or not without even missing a beat. It's just, um, there's no remorse. There's no, you know, there's, there's probably a lack of very huge lack of empathy. So there's no qualms in making something up that's completely off the wall or completely untrue. It's simply, it comes down to, I think that very basic uh, idea of how are my needs going to be met? How can this serve me? How can I, how can I twist the situation so that it will ultimately serve me? So going back to that self-centeredness and how people and situations can serve them. Mm, okay. Thank you. Makes sense. And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a complicated, complicate, like, obviously, like, I don't know if there's an ever a way to like 100% know the truth because it's about yeah go about some other person's conscious but like right right <laughs> yeah ultimately I don't know for sure and I think we could we could hypothesize until the cow come you know the cows come home about why a narcissist is the way they are mm. um and a lot of it I think we know a lot but I think a lot of it doesn't just doesn't make sense and may never make sense And I think part of it is, um, at least for myself, I know coming to that acceptance of, I may not all of this, I may never know all of these answers and it may never make sense. And mm -hmm. do I want to, to spend my life banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out these answers or, or do I just want to accept, would it be more helpful for me to just accept this is the way they are. I'm not going to change it. And I'm not going to spend my time and energy fixing them because I can't. 
Mm, yeah, I once heard this kind of useful metaphor that sometimes a good closure or sometimes it is just in general good to leave uh, unfinished puzzle on the floor when you are not probably even sure do you even have all the pieces so you just leave the puzzle mm. on the floor because there might be you might be in a situation where you can't even ever you know finish the puzzle so just leave the puzzle and walk away <laughs> I like that metaphor a lot yeah I'm gonna start using that <laughs> <laughs> okay so then let's move on to the next one and that's <clears throat> Social circle manipulation is when someone manipulates the people you know. Uh, sorry, I'll start again. Social circle manipulation is when someone manipulates the people you know, controlling your social circle. Because the abuser is pulling the strings, the person being abused is left confused as to which of their social experiences are fake and which are actually genuine. For example, the abusive person in your life tells one of your close friends that you don't actually like them so they are lying to that friend your friend stops talking to you because of this and you are left feeling sad and confused how can someone tell if their abuser is manipulating their social circle and and then how should someone deal with this type of behavior this is a great question my initial thought is if you can exit the relationship with this toxic person or try to create some distance by going limited contact with them. But in how to deal with this sort of manipulation, <clears throat> number one, pay attention to changes in social interactions. If you notice that people you know have suddenly stopped communicating with you or that your relationships with them have changed in ways that don't really make sense, it could be a sign that this person is manipulating your social circle. So number two, listen to your gut. If something feels off uh, for, you know, or your relationships with people you care about start to change for no apparent reason, trust your instincts. Your feelings are typically a very good indicator that something may be wrong. So number three, Check in with your friends and family. Ask them what's going on. If these are people that you trust, share with them your suspicions. Ask people to come directly to you for communication instead of listening to things in hand. You can also ask them what's happening from their perspective or explain what's happening from your perspective. These people may be able to help you to understand your situation better and provide you with the support that you need. Number four, build a support system. Find people who will support and believe in you, who you can actually trust, and who will not be swayed by the manipulator. Ideally, these people would not be tied to this toxic person. Five is set boundaries. Let the person who is manipulating know that you're not going to tolerate this behavior um, and communicate with them that um, you won't accept them trying to control your social interactions and your relationships. And then lastly, six is you might 
think about seeking professional support if you're struggling to cope with a manipulative relationship and you're having a lot of trouble navigating the so- the social circle manipulation it may be helpful to seek the support of either a therapist or a coach or someone who has experience working with survivors of this type of abuse or narcissistic abuse manipulation um someone like a therapist or a coach can really provide you with the tools and support that you need to navigate these really challenging situations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I'm just thinking about the, was it number five, but you know, the that you let the other person who is doing this social circle manipulation know that, that, hey, I'm not tolerating this. I just can see so clearly how they're like, what you're talking about? Because that's kind of, that can be an easy way uh, to, you know, deny. Because mm, if it's about this abusive person going to your friend and telling a lie about you, it's so easy to just say, no, I didn't do that. And what you're talking about, they are just, maybe you should look in the mirror and there is another reason why they are not reaching out to you anymore. So uh, is at some point you said that sometimes you need to kind of uh, ask yourself, is this worth the, you know, kind of the difficult conversation and emotional investment? Is is it here? Like, should you here maybe consider not saying anything to the abusive person if you already have, for example, reached out to your friends and they kind of know what's going on? Would you still uh, like... W- say that hey you have to let know the abusive person that hey you're you should don't do this i'm not tolerating it i would say <clears throat> excuse me i would say no it's not always necessary to do that in fact it might be better for you to maintain limited contact or no contact with this person and just try to cut them out of your life if you are continuing to recognize this toxic behavior because involving them in conversation can just bring them back into your life. And if that's not something that you want, then it might just be better to just not bring them into the conversation at all and just focus on your communication with your friends and family and the people that you trust. So, so no, you, it's not a blanket statement where you always have to involve the, the person who's engaging in the manipulation. If you think it's better to just leave them out of it, do it don't involve them mm. that might be healthier for you yeah yeah and, and it's always when uh, i just want to make this clear for anyone who is uh listening or watching that uh you know you kind of have to know the person that you are with because not all abusive people are the same like there are many types exactly. of yeah many types of narcissists as well some might uh like you gotta know kind of what kind of person you are dealing with and then think and ask yourself okay should I state my boundary here or should I not and yeah I'm yeah I just want to kind of let people know yes thank you for that I think that's a great point and you know these are these are obviously general tips but Mm. you know your situation and you know your context best And so, you know, it it does, I think, require some consideration about, okay, would this actually be helpful for me or not? So 
take these, take these tips and apply them to your situation. Take what works, leave what doesn't. Not all of these tips may work for you. You have to decide knowing your specific situation, what's going to help you. Mm. It would be wonderful if there was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, every time these five tips, they worked. And then you're like, okay, I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll just listen to like Dr. Taylor and do exactly what she says and solve all my problems. <laughs> like, yeah, it'd be great if we had a manual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly um okay let's move on to the other question and that's sure. uh pseudo mutuality is when problems are solved by simply ignoring them it is commonly seen in families where everyone simply puts on a happy face and pretends nothing is wrong if left unchecked pseudo mutuality can force survivors of abuse to invalidate their own thoughts feelings and emotions by normalizing the abuse that they are experiencing how can someone protect themselves in environments where pseudo mutuality is present this is an extremely common issue many families don't know how to talk openly about their issues or deal with problems effectively and tend to brush things under the rug Effective communication uh, and problem solving, these are skills that require emotional intelligence. And these aren't things that are always taught in families or in schools or society. So thinking about parents who are emotionally immature or who were never taught how to manage family problems effectively, it's hard to teach something that wasn't modeled for you when you were younger. So if as a child, you learned to deal with problems by not talking about them, chances are that will be your default as an adult, unless you actively work to learn otherwise. So some things that you can do, one, acknowledge the abuse. Acknowledge that the abuse is occurring and validate your own thoughts and feelings and emotions about the situation. You can have help with this by seeking support. Get support for yourself. Seek out and surround yourself with people who will support you and believe you and who will not enable the pseudo-mutuality in the environment. This could be, for example, a therapist, it could be a support group or a trusted friend or another family member who gets it. Shame tends to keep us small and it prevents us from sharing our pain with others. However, sharing ourselves and our experiences with safe and trusted individuals and truly being seen can be very powerful and healing. So my third tip is practice self-care. It's really important to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, and to take time for yourself to process what you're going through. Number four is learn about narcissistic abuse. Educating yourself about narcissistic abuse and its different forms, including pseudo-mutuality, can help you to identify it and understand it and ultimately protect yourself from it. 
Similarly, number five, I would say learn to recognize the patterns of abuse. Understanding those patterns that are present in your environment, in your family, can help you to recognize when pseudo-mutuality is being used as a tactic and to take steps to protect yourself. This could include learning about the different forms of abuse and how they're used to control and manipulate victims. And then lastly, you might consider creating an exit plan if needed. In some cases, the best way to protect yourself may be to leave the situation. And this can be a really difficult and complex process, but creating an exit plan can help to make it feel more manageable. And so this plan can include steps such as seeking professional support, seeking financial assistance, finding a safe place to live, building a support system, et cetera. It is really important to remember that exiting an environment like this can be really difficult and sometimes even a dangerous process. And so it's important to take steps to protect yourself while you're working on exiting the situation. And if you need assistance or if you have any concerns, reach out. You don't have to do this alone. Reach out to a trusted friend, a family member, a professional, someone who you can trust, who can support you. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned uh, that learn as much as you can about like narcissistic abuse or like, you know, abusive patterns and behaviors. Do you have any you know, actual resources to recommend your favorite books or, you know, I don't know, other resources? Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of resources out there. The ones that come to mind, big name, Dr. Romney. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of resources that are particular to my niche, which is adult children of narcissistic parents. There's a website called daughters of narcissistic mothers.com. That's really helpful. Um, a lot of books out there that are helpful. So one of them is adult children of emotionally immature parents. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one by Carol McBride called, will I ever be good enough? Uh, I think it's healing uh, daughters of narcissistic mothers. There's a lot of books that are dealing with having narcissistic parents and how to cope with that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like because there's so much, that's why I want to kind of ask like actual names so people can, because there is a lot of information that they can, you know, invest in something that someone has recommended uh, in the hopes of that it's like maybe better than like, because there's so much there, some some resources are not as good as others, obviously. So that's why I always ask like actual recommendations from like professionals. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah, and uh, I, d I do want to ha have one kind of uh, question. You mentioned like the, uh, you know, emotionally immature parents. Like, what does that mean? How do you know that someone is emotionally immature parent? Do you have like some, I don't know, five signs or I'm sure there are many, but like something that, that comes now uh, to your mind. 
Yeah, I think there's a whole host of things that come to mind. Um, and I'm trying to think how would I how would I pick the top five? Um, <laughs> um yeah, so when I think about emotional being emotionally mature or emotional intelligence, I think about empathy. That's one of the top ones that comes to mind. Um is is your your parent, for example, if we're talking about parents, is your parent able to practice empathy? Are they able to step inside the shoes of another person and understand what it feels like to be them? Or do they have difficulty doing that? Meaning they're really only able to see situations from their own perspective and they aren't able to step outside of their own shoes. They can only see things from their point of view. Empathy is a big one. <clears throat> Are they able to take responsibility when they have harmed, harmed you or made a mistake? Are they able to apologize? Are they able to repair the, their wrongdoing. So being able to apologize for what they've done is essentially acknowledging, hey, I've made a misstep here. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to work on that. That requires self-reflection and being able to acknowledge that you've made a mistake and own up to that. Are they able to do that? Are they able to self-reflect? Are they able to take responsibility for the things that they've maybe done wrong? Communication is another one. Are you able to have meaningful, uh, meaningful conversations with this person about, about deep topics, not just engaging in surface level conversations, but are you able to get to a deeper level with this person? Are you able to, for example, Talk about your emotional world, what's going on inside of you with this person. Do they ask about you? Are they curious about your inner world, your emotions, your needs, your wants, your desires, your hopes, your passions, your dreams? Are you able to talk about those things? That's to say, I mean, I know that not everyone has those types of deep relationships with their parents and may not be able to have those conversations, but are, are you able to have, uh, you know, any meaningful conversations with your, with your parent that, that show that, yeah, that, that show that you can, that you can communicate effectively or they can communicate effectively with you. Can you talk about your relationship with each other openly? Mm. Um, or is that something that's off the table or that you've never talked about before. Those are some things um, that immediately come to mind. And I know after this podcast, a flurry of ideas <laughs> will come. <laughs> but those are kind of the, the top things that come to mind for me. Um, and I would love to actually, if, if you'd be open to it, I'd love to chat more about this question because I think it's a, I'd like to think more about it. I think it's mm -hmm. a really a, a great question that you asked. 
Yeah. And the reason I kind of brought this up was because when you answered the, uh, about the pseudo, the number, question number five, I'm having a yeah. hard time <laughs> pronouncing that word. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, because you said that, uh, anyway, that manipulation tactic, it's about that everyone puts on a happy face and pretends nothing is wrong. I personally have found very hard to acknowledge the abuse when everyone around me is saying that there is no problem so that's why I was kind of asking like the science of you know emotionally immature parents and anyway and that's why I asked even the book recommendations or like resources so that you can actually learn what is not healthy and then uh, yeah so that you can actually be confident in acknowledging the abuse because I at least I find it very hard when everyone around me is saying that what do you mean that like that's that's like everything is fine so why you are creating problems absolutely mm. yeah being in that situation you may not know any better <clears throat> because everyone around you is saying nothing's wrong what are you talking about you may not even realize that you know that that nothing that there is an issue because mm -hmm. this is just the air that you breathe. This is how your family has functioned normally. That's what's normal for you. And it's been normal for so long that it may take a lot of time. A lot of time may pass before you recognize, oh, this actually wasn't this, this was abuse or this was, this was dysfunctional. It's actually pretty common when we're talking about, for example, narcissistic abuse, or again, going back to my, my work of working with adult children of narcissistic parents, it's very common for it to take years, decades for someone to realize that they are, that their parent is a narcissist or has narcissistic traits because for so long, they just, they just thought, well, this is just how my parent is. This is just how they operate. And you may not know that their behaviors, there are names for their behaviors. Mm. These are narcissistic traits, but we don't know that because it's not something that's commonly taught. So until we have the language, until we were educated, until we educate ourselves or we're, <clears throat> we come across this, uh, this knowledge with the, the help of, of uh, a trusted uh, support system, we, we aren't able to identify our experience. Um, but once we do have the language for it, it can be so liberating, so empowering, and we can begin that journey of healing now that we recognize, okay, this, this was off my childhood. You know, I, I did experience abuse. Mm, yeah. So it's a long journey, I think. Yeah, it is. But yeah, th thank you so much. Um, I think, yeah, thank you. Uh, today we had some great questions and great, great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. And thank you, Dr. Taylor, again, for coming to this episode and providing such uh, wonderful and practical advice. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.